That's all good. Raise your hand if you had some great experiences as a kid going to church camp. Yeah, the hands go up. Oh, sweat an awesome, awesome thing. Maybe your kids missed out this year. There's next year. I'm sure they're going to be doing it next year. Good stuff. Ways to experience Jesus together. Hey, if you would look in your chair, there's a little, little paper somewhere around you that says, go serve. If you don't see one around you, it might be underneath you in the bun warmer. <laughs> and so put your hands on that. That'd be great. And so this is a great opportunity for you to experience the joy that comes from giving and serving. Part of the reason we bring this up right now is because we're kind of after serve, kind of in the middle of summer, that's, there's, there's a lot of vacancies going on right now, especially in these areas. We've got the cafe, we've got fourth, fifth, and sixth grade ministry, and we also have kids at UC. There's great ways to get involved and help there. So there's kind of two sides to ministries here at Union Chapel, especially our children's ministries. And one side is the people who's like, I'm called, I'm invested, and I'm going to be a part of this. And the other side is a co-op from all the parents, because if you're dropping your kids off, it's awesome to invest in that as well. In fact, if every parent who used our kids' ministry volunteered just once a month, we would be full, absolutely full with volunteers. So thanks for helping out with that, especially in this season when we're a little shorthanded. And man, it's just, it's spectacular. I mean, our children's ministries in four, five, six, they lay everything out. You're not locked in the room, you know, with the kids, they don't throw away the key, you can't get out. I mean, there's activities, they go have worship, they have a group teaching time, and, and just have some discussion and crafts and artwork. And I'm talking to a man in the room. And God is on you because you can sit around a table with a group of fourth, fifth, and sixth grade boys and read some questions off a sheet of paper and have some fun with those guys and maybe, you know, goof around with them too a little bit as well. And so I'm telling you, it will have a massive impact on those kids and on you as well. So thanks so much for signing up. You can fill this out. If you're a pen and ink person, drop this off. At the Welcome Center on your way out, of course, there's a QR code right there. Well, everybody, welcome to church. So glad you're here. And we are jumping into God's Word together today. And we're in the middle of a series called Real Relationships because we all want authentic, genuine relationships, don't we? And it seems like that's so hard because we isolate ourselves from each other. And it seems like social media, it was intended to bring us closer together, but it it makes fake relationships even that much more tempting because everything's got to be polished. It's got to all look together. It's like we've got everything going on and we're all looking great. And so there's all this comparison that happens and real relationships are so challenging. And so the first week, Pastor Christopher preached on how real relationships are Christ-centered. And then last week, he preached on how real relationships are mission-minded, how we need to offer Christ to people in our lives, our neighbors, the people that we work with, and obviously in our families as well. And today we're going to unpack a little bit how real relationships forgive freely. The next week is how real relationships fight for each other. And the last one is that real relationships are covenant keeping. And so if you would, I'd just like to start off with prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we come before you. And right now, as we begin to talk about forgiveness... We just ask for your strength and your help. Because some of us, we're just free and clear. But so many of us, we're carrying around the hurts from our past. And Lord, I just, I just speak death to all those things 
that try to tear us away from you and those emotions that keep us from trusting, those emotions that keep us from connecting to you. And I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to rise up, to speak to each one of us today so that we can be more free, receive more of your love and your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, our scripture for today is Hebrews 12, verses 14 through 17. It's our tradition here at Union Chapel to stand in honor of reading God's word if you're able. Feel free to join me on your feet. And of course, we will project the words on the screen. Hebrews 12, 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. And afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought the blessing with tears. He could not change what he had done. God bless you. You may be seated. Thanks be to God for the reading and the hearing of his word. When you think about it, there's only one way to, quote, live at peace with everyone and only one way to stop bitter roots from growing in your life. And that one way is to forgive. We've got to forgive. In fact, this passage makes this astounding statement. If you choose not to forgive, if you choose to hold on to bitterness, that you will miss the grace of God. I mean, let that sink in. Like the grace of God, the forgiveness and the freedom from Jesus That will go right by you. You'll walk right by it. You can miss it. And you don't want to miss out on that. If there's anything you miss out in life, you don't want to miss out on the grace of God. And so there's some lies that we believe that keep us from forgiving or at least hold us back. And I want to put the first lie on the screen. Here's lie number one. If I get even, I'll get better. Now, I know you know that's right, but that doesn't feel right, does it? Something about like, if I get even, it's going to feel so much better. And man, I tell you what, our culture glorifies revenge. And some of my favorite movies are all about revenge. You know, there's Taken 1 and Taken 2 and Taken 3, you know, where the precious daughter gets captured and then he's got a unique set of skills. And then he goes and meets justice on all the guys who, you know, captured his daughter and they all die and everyone wins and we all cheer. Of course, there's movies like The Gladiator, even, even classic works like The Count of Monte Cristo and Godfather and James Bond. The list goes on and on and on. We have this little saying that revenge is sweet. And it feels sweet on the surface, but revenge is actually painful. It hurts. It destroys. Because revenge is rooted in hate, and hate is never healthy. Hate is always evil. Hebrews 12 says that bitterness will grow in you and it'll cause trouble. And like as these roots shoot out of that bitterness, they will go into every area of your life. It doesn't say it will just defile you. It'll defile all of your relationships. And we don't want that. It's not hard to see how resentment seeps into families, how stereotypes get built, how you can look through years and years and years and generations and generations and generations of how how people have bought into lies about other types of people. And it's an awful thing. Revenge is not a good thing. In fact, there's this statement that's been repeated three times in the Bible, and it started in Deuteronomy 32, 25. It's the Lord speaking. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And then again, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. That's also in 
Romans 12, 19. And then again in Hebrews 10, 30. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Now I must confess, part of me is like, oh yeah, revenge belongs to God. You mess with me, God's gonna put the whoop on you. Go God, yeah, you let him have it. Stick it to him, Jesus. I'm glad you all recognize that that is not what this is talking about. Not at all, not at all. It's more possession. When God says, revenge is mine, he says, it belongs to me. I want you to think about revenge. Revenge is like a loaded gun in a kid's hand. Revenge, it's like, it's like a welding torch in a toddler running around the house. Or, or maybe, maybe like a deadly pathogen in this glass Petri dish, and this kiddo's running around with it. Any minute, he's going to drop that thing. It's going to break off of the floor. It's going it's to cause some serious, serious problems. So God, when God says, revenge is mine, he says, it belongs to me. So leave that to me. Don't touch it. Stay far, far, far away from it. And the irony of revenge is that when we try to get revenge for ourselves, it doesn't make the pain go away. It just makes more pain every single time. You know how this works. Maybe you're married or maybe you've at least been in a serious romantic relationship. And you know how this works. You know, uh, your beloved does something and it just sets you off. I'm going to get even with him. I'm going to get even with her. How did that work for you? Didn't work very good for me. Because, you know, what happens, like, just, let's just say that, that I was mad. And I was like, ooh, I just let Leslie have it. Just, oh, man. And, you know, Leslie's response, she goes, well, thank you so much. Now I just see so clearly that you were right and I was wrong. I feel so loved and cared for. I understand everything so much better now. No, that's not how it went. It went the same way for me as it did for you. So revenge never helps. It never helps. And sometimes revenge is sneaky. It tries to disguise itself as justice, doesn't it? Because you get all this anger rise up and you call it righteous anger. I don't really know how anger or hate can be righteous. Maybe anger can be righteous, but not hate. You're familiar with the phrase cancel culture? You're familiar with how when you don't agree with someone or someone doesn't agree with you and they try to hurt you for it, say bad things about you pressure you. And it's not just political institutions. It's not just people who have varying opinions on life. I mean, that's also happened in the church as well. In fact, the church did it long before any of these other groups have done it. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying, we're trying to realize that the source of change, the source of life is the love of Jesus. And the love of Jesus has nothing to do with hate, has nothing to do with revenge, it has to do with embracing the Lord your God and all of his goodness. Revenge doesn't make you better. Revenge will make you bitter every single time. Here's another lie that we tend to hold on to that keeps us from forgiving. It says this, see it on the screen. I can forgive quickly. This is a question that comes up a lot. Well, I thought I'd forgiven them. Well, part of it is that forgiveness, there's two parts to it. One is a choice to forgive and the other is the time it takes for your heart to heal. And some things are really easy to forgive. Maybe you've apologized to someone for something that you did, or maybe you had someone come up to you and apologize to you. And I've had this happen to me, and someone said, oh, Glenn, I'm so sorry for that. And you're like, what did you do? Oh, yeah, okay, I've, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, no problem. Well, that's easy to let go because it didn't hurt at all. But I'm talking to people in the room. I'm talking to people online, and you know what it's like 
to be really hurt. Your parents let you down. Someone you trusted took advantage of you in selfish ways. You've been cheated on, lied to, accused, maligned, and the list goes on and on and on. And those things are more difficult to walk away from, aren't they? And so what we have to do is we have to realize, we have to realize that it takes time to experience healing. You know, there's this saying about bury the hatchet. You know what the hatchet is? The hatchet is what it feels like when someone stabs you in the back or when someone hurts you and betrays you. It feels like there's a big hatchet sitting in the back of your soul. And the reason that we say bury the hatchet is because the thing keeps coming back. If you get a hatchet, drop it on the ground. It's not going to fly around and chase you. But so you got to dig a hole, throw the hatchet in the hole, throw the dirt in the hole, stomp the dirt, and then hopefully the hatchet won't come back. But here's the reality of it. You can forgive someone, but you can, maybe you're not yet healed from all those emotions. And so my challenge to you is, is to expect for those feelings to come back. And I have this promise, this guarantee from God that over time, those feelings, those hurt feelings, they'll come back less frequently and they'll be less intense. And then one day you will be completely free from that pain. You'll be completely healed. And that's going to be a great day. And the Bible describes like, like roots of bitterness. Like root, you, we know how roots work. They grow into the soil to hold the plant or the tree in place and to get nutrients out of it. And so roots grow kind of slowly, but they hold on really tight. In fact, it reminds me of a tulip tree that I had in my yard right by my garage. And the scale bugs attacked it. You have to chop off branches and treat it with all this expensive stuff and fertilize it. And then the ants got in there. And so this tree was looking pathetic. It kind of forked off in the middle and had to cut off more and more branches. And finally, a big windstorm blew through and one of the big forks just fell off in our driveway. It's like, I'm done with the tree. Leslie said, let's cut that thing down. We cut it down. Finally, I'm finished with the tree. Well, what happens next spring? All these shoots come up from the stump of the tree. Well, I thought I was done with the tree, but no, the shoots came back up because I didn't pull up the roots. In fact, the roots are still there and I'm just using the weed eater because it's a lot of work to pull those out. But see, that's not true for the pain in our lives. We can't just let the pain in our lives sit there and fester and continue to have its work in our lives. Even though we can't see it, even though we think we're done with it, it's still at work. So plan what you're going to do when those feelings come back. I want to talk about some practical ways to kind of pull the roots of bitterness out of your life. Let's ask this question. See it on the screen. What does the process of forgiveness look like and how does it work? And the first thing I want to challenge you to do is to face your pain. You've got to spell it out. You've got to be specific. You can't forgive something that's ambiguous. You see, we have this impulse to hide our pain and deny it. And the reason we stuff it is because it's hurtful and it's hard. It's hard to deal with. But until we deal with it, it's not going anywhere. It's, we've got to hold on to God in the midst. We've got to trust him and know that even though it hurts, that we're going to get better. It's the path to healing. And a great starting point might be to kind of grab a pen and paper. Pen and paper and just write some things out. And I want to put some questions on the screen. This is available on the app. And of course, it's available on our website as well. And 
We don't have time to unpack all these, but here's some questions you might just write out. There's something about getting pen and paper that helps you focus and think. Don't worry. You don't have to write cursive. You can print. You know, don't sweat that. But as you write it out, answer what happened. It doesn't have to be a huge, huge, long thing. Maybe that would help you. But just say what happened. Write out what happened. And then answer the question, how did it make you feel? How did it affect you? And then think about the impact that that event had on you. How did it shape your relationship with God? How has it changed how you think about yourself? How has it changed the other relationships in your life? That gives you a little bit more clarity. And the last question is, how can I move on? And we're going to kind of unpack how we move on from that in the rest of our talk today. And so one of the things that's helpful is to share this with someone that you trust. You know, you can repress it, you can suppress it, but a better thing to do is confess it. And I'm not talking about, you know, viewing and spending and venting and gossiping to someone else. I'm talking about sharing how you want to be free with someone that you trust. You can talk to a counselor or you can talk to a friend. You can talk to a pastor. I tell people, you can talk to me for free. And good news, I'm worth every penny. I offer a money-back guarantee. There we go. There we go. Yeah, yeah. But all of that, we all know what it's like to share something with someone that we trust and we feel better. It's because we're sharing the burden. Someone else has helped carrying the load and it gives us clarity. The second thing to do to help you uproot bitterness from your life is to release the offense. Now, notice I didn't say release your offender. I said release the offense because sometimes we have this temptation to think, well, when I forgive someone, it's like I'm condoning what they did. I'm saying what they did didn't happen or what they did was okay, and it's not. You aren't releasing your offender. You're releasing yourself. And so when you let go of how you were hurt, it makes a huge difference in your life. So are you ready to have some fun at my expense? I hope you are. I hope this is the last time I have to tell this story. Oh, my goodness. So 28 years ago, Leslie and I moved here from Texas. We've loved raising our family here. It's just an awesome, awesome place for us. But that has involved many trips back to Texas to see family. And we discovered something early on when the kids were little is that when they're under one year old, they can sit on your lap. The kids fly for free. We're like, yeah, we took, we took advantage of that. And so sometimes uh, we'd fly there and then I'd fly back to get back to work. And she'd, Leslie'd stay another couple weeks, a week or two with family and hang out and come back. And, and that's all good. This was one of those times. And of course, her flight back had a connection. And, and so she has, she has a little kiddo, Allie's in a stroller. And she's scooting around. And Haley, she's active. She's running around doing everything. So she's got two kids, a stroller, all the carry-on bags, trying to make connecting flights from one end of the airport to another, all the craziness going on with that. And she finally lands in Dayton thinking, oh, good. Fine, Glenn's going to be there to pick us up, and it's going to be great. Oh, my, I'm so, so done with traveling. And so she lands, and I'm not there. Then she gets the luggage, you know, all the luggage with kids and this big, huge box because you're grandparents have to load up the grandkids with huge gifts. And so you've got all this paraphernalia coming out and still no Glenn. She's like, okay, I know Glenn's got it together. He's, he's, he's going to be here. I just know it. I'm not going to call him yet. And so, and then, well, the kids have to go to the bathroom. 
And so she talks to someone at the counter and they say, uh, can I just leave my stuff here while I take my kids to the bathroom? Well, it's right after 9-11 and so everyone's a terrorist. So no, so she's got to get the kids and the stroller, all that to go to the bathroom. And then I'm not there by then and she has to go get quarters. And she takes the quarters and walks up to this little box on the wall. It's called a payphone. She puts quarters in the payphone, more than one, because, you know, it's long distance because it's Ohio. And she calls and I pick up the phone and I said, hello, this is Glenn. And she says, what are you doing? <laughs> With a big smile on my face, I'm running the vacuum cleaner. I'm cleaning the house, babe. I can't wait to pick you up tomorrow. And she says, we're here right now. <laughs> I think I wet myself. <laughs> and her last words were to me, don't get a ticket. And so I jump in the car and I'm driving an hour and a half. I have a whole hour and a half to imagine how awful it's going to be because I know she's so disappointed. I know she's exhausted and hurt and that's not what she was hoping to have happen. I mean, that's all. And so I have these fantasies in my head. You remember that old show, Divorce Court? I imagine for the very first time in the history of Divorce Court, the judge slamming down the gavel and saying, death penalty for you, Glenn. And so I finally get there. I don't know what's going to happen. And so I open up the van and I walk around and, and Leslie walks up to me and she gives me a hug and a kiss. Can you imagine what that did for me in that moment? Like you already knew I married way out of my league. Now you know for sure I married way out of my league. And so I loaded her up and the kids and we're right driving home. And you would think, you would think that a normal human being would just take it, Glenn. You just embrace this and enjoy it. But no, I had to open up my big mouth. I said, babe, thanks so much for how you responded to me, how you hugged me and kissed me. And I know you had to be so disappointed with all that. And she said, I was mad. I was really mad for like 45 minutes. And then I just decided... I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I want to go home and I want to go to bed. And see, what she realized was that carrying all of that hurt was just exhausting. And you think that's exhausting for what you've been carrying is exhausting for you as well. Jesus wants you to let it go. He wants you to be free from all of that weight, from all of that pain. And so release that offense. Look, our carnal impulse, it's to get even. You know that's true. You know it's true. And obviously, we don't, did I deserve to be forgiven? The answer to the question is no. No. And when it comes down to it, none of us deserve to be forgiven. We can try to make up for it, but that doesn't mean we deserve to be forgiven. But here's what you do deserve. You deserve to be free because Jesus paid for your freedom at a high price. And so we want to release the offense. And so the third thought is this, is pray for the person who hurt you. Now I know it's church, and here's a little secret if you're new to church. If you answer pray, read your Bible, or Jesus, you're going to get the answer right at one point or another. And so you hear this a lot, we've got to pray, we've got to pray, and, and we do have to pray. But I don't want you to miss the power of prayer when it comes to you being free from bitterness and pain. The words of Jesus himself, you can look it up for yourself in Matthew 5, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
And I think, what if we kind of flip that a little bit? And, and what if Jesus was implying that the, way that the only way that we can truly love our enemies, the only way that we can be truly free from the people who persecute us is to pray for them? What if your prayer for your offender is actually your ticket to freedom? That's the primary way that Jesus wants to make you whole. It's the primary way that Jesus wants to set you free is you praying for them because we have this huge misunderstanding when it, when it comes to how prayer works. And look, I don't have all the answers for how prayer works. It's, it's way above my prayer grade. It's way more complicated than I could imagine. But here's, here's what I do know. I do know that when you're praying for somebody, power doesn't shoot from out from heaven and just touch that person that you're praying for. Whenever you pray, the power of God moves through you. And so as you're praying for this person, God might do a more significant work in your own heart than in the person whom you're praying for. That's the power of prayer. That's the power that will set you free and make you whole. You see, Jesus commands that you pray for your offender because that's his chosen method for setting you free. So face your pain, release your offense, pray for the person who hurt you. Do these things and you will begin to experience the peace that only comes through granting forgiveness. Walk away from the offense, write out the things that have been challenging for you and what the steps are gonna be for you to be free and be whole. The longer you hold on to it, the harder it will be to let go. And get ready, get ready because the pain's gonna come back. It'll come back. Something will trigger that pain again, I promise. And it's gonna be okay because you're gonna lay it back down and you're gonna embrace Jesus again and he's gonna give you more freedom and hope. And it's gonna be helpful. Have you ever thought about this question? It's kind of a, not really a great question to be honest. But think about this. What will happen if I refuse to forgive? We had this curious illustration in the passage that we read today from Hebrews 12. I'd like to read that again. Just listen to this. Verse 16 says that, See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. See, this is Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau were brothers, and Esau was born first. And when you're the firstborn, you have this thing called the birthright. And back in the culture in this day, birthright was a huge thing. And so families didn't like spread out everywhere. Families stayed together. And so when you, when you were the firstborn son, your birthright is, is you get to inherit the family estate. And it's like the family neighborhood because when you would get married, the sons would get married, they'd bring their wives, they'd add on to the house. And so it's like, that, it's like a compound. You get to lead the compound. Not only that, you get to help make decisions for the family. You get to invoke the blessing of God on your family and help your family prosper. And so it's a wonderful, amazing, amazing honor. And so the firstborn gets pretty much everything and all the sons after that, they don't get quite so much at all. So and so Jacob, he wanted to be, he wanted that blessing. He wanted that birthright so bad. Even when he was born, they were twins. Uh, Jacob was born second. His name means heel grabber. He's literally holding on to Esau's heel when they were born. Here's what happened. Esau's out working, hunting, because he's the hunter. Jacob, he's the chef. He, hang, he hung out in the kitchen. And so Jacob comes into the tent where Jacob's been cooking lentil stew and bread. 
He goes, I am so hungry. I'm so hungry, I'm about to die. He said, give me some of that lentil soup. Jacob, he's tricky. He's been playing tricks his whole life. And one of the things he did, he said, no, you can't have any. You can't have any, not until you promise me your birthright. He goes, okay, okay, whatever, whatever, just give me the, he said, no, 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 swear to God, swear to God that you will give me your birthright. He says, well, what good is my birthright if I'm gonna die in hunger? Okay, I'll give it to you. And so he ate. Genesis 25, verse 34 says this, that Jacob gave Esau the bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. See this statement on the screen. Esau Esau despised his birthright by trading it for a bowl of lentils. Don't despise the freedom, forgiveness, and love that Jesus paid for by holding on to your own pain. Don't miss the significance of this illustration. At first, you might wonder, that's kind of an odd thing when you talk about forgiveness. But when you see that forgiveness is on you to find freedom and hope and strength, if you know Jesus, your birthright is holiness. Your birthright is joy. Your birthright is peace and life and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is your birthright if you've given your life to Jesus. And when you hold on to that pain, when you hold on to that revenge that's seeping in your heart, when you, you are despising the blood of Jesus, you're saying, I'm going to hold on to this instead of the freedom and the love of God. That got my attention. I don't know if that gets your attention. It gets my attention. And Jesus didn't mince words when it came to forgiveness either. There's this little unknown statement of Jesus that's in the Bible in Matthew 6. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Perhaps you've heard it before. There's this little phrase right in the middle. It says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And so you've got to offer forgiveness to, re- to receive it. And then just to make sure that we didn't miss that, The very first statement that Jesus made after the Lord's prayer is this. I'd like to read it for you in Matthew 6, 14. Jesus said, for if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Well, that's good. But if you do not forgive people their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Does that not scare you? Does that not remind you of the statement in Hebrews that that be careful not to miss the grace of God? Our refusal to forgive could very well send us to hell. I mean, this sin is in a class by itself. The only other sin that has such grave consequences is the sin of blasphemy, which is basically rejecting and denying God. Now, if you're like me, you can sit there and think, well, Why won't God forgive me if I don't forgive this other person? But a better question is, why am I choosing this pain and resentment over the forgiveness of Jesus? Because all you got to do is let it go to receive his love and his grace and his power. Have you ever thought about this? How do you know when you've forgiven someone? Now, I will admit it's kind of a trick question because we tend to think of forgiveness like like a... I've forgiven, you know, check that off, and I'm done with that. But that's not how it works. You see, forgiveness is a choice that you make again and again and again. And so actually, forgiveness is a decision that you make followed by supernatural healing in your heart. And how do I know when I've forgiven someone? How do I know when I'm healed? That's when you're able to wish that person well. 
When you can wish them well, I'm not saying you have to be buddy-buddy with them and go get coffee with them and friend them on Facebook and follow them on Instagram and like everything that they do. I'm not saying that. But when you can wish them well, you know that you're free. You know that you can hold on to Jesus. And let me tell you this. It's good to be free. (laughs) It's so good to be free. There's people all over this room, and you know what it's like to be in bondage to this hate. You know what it's like to be trapped by this pain. You know what it's like to have these things weighing on you, and that freedom is so good. (laughs) The freedom is worth the pain of walking through those terrible emotions. That freedom is so good. It's so, you can't help but praise God from the bottom of your heart when you experience that freedom and that love, and you deserve to be free because Jesus paid for it. Think about this. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin. He also died on the cross to pay for the sin that you've experienced against you. Jesus took your shame upon himself. And that's so, so helpful. I hope that I hope that encourages you. I hope that draws you nearer to God maybe than you ever have been before because you know that you can trust him because he gets you and he understands you. In the midst of your freedom, you will experience more of God's peace. Who doesn't want more peace? You can freely worship God without these huge distractions and you can actually hear from God without the, without the interference from bitterness keeping you from connecting with him. And so my question for you is, what's your next step? How are you going to respond? And I want to challenge you to do something today or even do something right now to set yourself on a path to greater freedom. Because most of you, you've tried the forgiveness thing once, but maybe, maybe that pain has come back and I've just stirred it up and you've got to lay it down again because God wants you to be free. If you look around you, you'll see another card around it. It's a, it's a, it's a little card. It says, Lord, please help me to forgive. And whether you're tuning in online or in the room, I want to challenge you to respond to this. You can, you, you can take a pen and just, and just write down your name or the offense or what happened to you. And if you want to, you can, you can see these baskets on the stage. People have been dropping off cards all morning long. And so there's nothing magical about writing it on a card. Here's what I'm going to I'm going to pray over these, and I'm going to take them out to the fire pit and burn them later on this week. Now, I know that may sound a little goofy, but I'm telling you, you've got to take a step in the right direction. You've got to, you've got to move. You've got to go. You can't, you can't afford to hold on to this any longer. And any step you take is an important one. So I want to challenge you to respond. And maybe you're online. Well, I can't have my hands on a card. Look, my email's coming up on the screen right now. Griner at unionchapel.com. You don't have to send me a book or you can write a volume, whatever it may be. But feel free to send that to me and I'll include that in the things that we pray over and the pile that we burn. And of course, after church, after worship, if you want to drop one off or you want to put one in the welcome center, that's fine too. But take a step today to be free. As I invite the worship team to come up, would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you that you paid not only for our sin, but for the sins against us. Thank you that because of you, 
we can be whole and we can be free. And Jesus, I know that, that so many people have all these things that are stirred up in their hearts and their minds right now. And, and if, if you've just realized that, that you need to have some more healing in this area of your life, if you, need, if you need some more complete forgiveness for things that have happened to you, would you just simply raise your hand right now just between you? Good, good, good for you. Good for you. Good, yes, yes, all over the room. Good, good for you, good for you. And Lord, as we make this promise to you, we promise that we're going to take steps to receive your healing and your grace. And so Jesus, as we come before you, thank you that you see our pain. And I want to challenge you just to visualize the person who hurt you. Visualize what they did. And imagine Jesus washing that away. Imagine him taking away that pain out of your heart. And and seeing that hate and that bitterness just erode out of your life. Maybe you have hope, more hope than you've had for the first time in a long time. And maybe some of you, you're realizing for the first time that you've never personally received forgiveness from Jesus yourself. And maybe it's this thing that you've experienced, this pain that's caused you from offering yourself completely and wholly to Jesus. And maybe you're ready to take that step right now because you need his healing and his strength in your life. If that's you, I want to challenge you to pray out loud with me. And here at Union Chapel, nobody prays alone. So if you're tuning in online, pray from home out loud. If you're here in the room, this whole room is going to pray with you. So if you would pray after me, dear Jesus, I give myself to you. All of my pain, all of my hurt, all of my shame, all of my failures, it all belongs to you. Take that bitterness, Jesus. I let go of it by the power of your Holy Spirit, and I receive your forgiveness. Make me whole. Set me free. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit so I can live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends, let's celebrate people who have taken this step of faith today to be free and experience God's goodness and his love. Well, friends, if you would join me on your feet, if you're able, we serve a God who's worthy to be praised. You can come up at any time. The kneelers are available for prayer. You can drop off an offense that you would love to let go of as well. God bless you. God bless you.